Hi, everybody. Stuart Gandalf here again, another podcast with our friend. And we've interviewed Lee quite a few times by now, Lee Acey from Mayo Clinic. He's the director of the Mayo Clinic Social Media Network. I haven't talked to Lee for a while. How are you doing, Lee? Good to have you. Stuart, I'm doing great and really appreciate the chance to talk with you. It's uh, it's an exciting time to be involved in, in healthcare. Lots going on and uh, lots in social media, too. For those of our listeners who haven't uh, heard me speak with Lee, because it's probably been a couple years now since we spoke last, Lee is probably the guy for social media and hospitals, certainly with Mayo Clinic, and he does a lot, and we'll get a sense of his uh, knowledge and breadth of expertise as we get into this. What precipitated the call this time, I was speaking with my editor, Lee, and we were talking about your annual conference coming up. And so what I thought, you've got the residency, you've got your conference, and rather than have me describe you know, your conference and your residency, I thought I'd give you, let's start off by talking about what that is and what that's all about. This is our, I think our sixth or seventh uh, conference that we've done. And the last few of those have been in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, which is our original home base for Mayo Clinic. We also do a course called Social Media Residency, which is an in-depth, hands-on, and also strategic planning workshop kind of program. And last December, we did one of our residencies in Arizona. And uh, suspiciously, I mean, it was eerily to us, we got like twice the attendance we've ever had for one of those uh, on our, you know, our southern campuses. And somehow we finally made the connection that, you know, December in Arizona is kind of a cool thing <laughs> uh, that was kind of appealing. And right. so we also de- we also decided that instead of just always having our main conference, which is a two-day conference uh, where we're getting people together to share their case studies and best practices and having some inspiring keynotes and, and really just a chance for our network members and and by the way, if you come to the conference, you become a network member, but having a chance for our network members to get to interact with each other and, and learn from each other and also get some consultation from some of our advisory board members, um, that instead of only having it in Rochester, that we should rotate it around our campuses. And so this, this year we're doing it in uh, Scottsdale. Next year we'll do it in Jacksonville, Florida, and then we'll rotate back to Minnesota the following year. But it's a kind of a confluence of some interesting things that, you know, we saw the appeal when we had people from New York coming to our Arizona residency in December, we said, wait a minute, this is not the most, (laughs) you know, geographically convenient for them, but there's something appealing about it. So uh, let's go with it. It's funny for, this is an aside for our seminars that we do. We find that awesome venues uh, or good hotels, like great, nice, fun hotels and locations people want to go to by far, attendance-wise, are out pull for sure. And our number one it helps conference we yep. have, yeah, our number one is in Las Vegas. <laughs> people yep. ha- like, to, like to go places that are fun. Well, I want to talk to you more about the details of the conference in a little bit. But before we get there, let's switch gears and talk about, you know, lots going on. I see your speakers here that are going to be talking about your digital network, your law side again, David Harlow. We talk, I love Mary Smith, queen of Facebook. There's, a, you know, lots happened. You know, some of our people are, you know, professional social media experts that, you know, work with hospitals. A larger number of our audience is really more like on sort of at the C-level, hospital-level CEOs or, you know, uh, chief marketing people. And also we have a lot of savvy doctors that are our readers. So I guess before we talk about like the latest stuff, Maybe you could talk to me about the evolution of social media and healthcare, because really we have people at all levels. Some people are absolute expert on this podcast, and some people are, you know, not. Help us get us get us caught up 
you know, we started our what has now become the Mayo Clinic Social Media Network in 2010 as a as a way for Mayo Clinic, in one sense, to kind of plant our flag a little bit and say, you know, this is something we've been doing for a while. It's really in keeping with 150 years of old-fashioned analog social networking, and we really think that this this word of mouth and the and that is has been really a fundamental part of of healthcare. And that these digital platforms just provide a way for that word to spread farther and faster and just enable communications for a lot of different purposes, not just marketing, not just PR, but also an education for clinical practice. How can we use these in research? How can we use these tools in research? And so that was really the charge that we were given. And, you know, back in at that time, there was still a lot of hesitancy, I think, among hospitals uh, to get involved in in social networking, social media platforms, because they just had some sense, whether it's HIPAA or other uh, obstacles that were that they were facing internally, blocking access at the corporate firewall. There were a lot of obstacles in the way, and we saw this as a way that Mayo Clinic could help be a resource to our colleagues at other institutions to provide a sort of aid and comfort to uh, to colleagues who are trying to make the case for using social media and also wanting to stay up to date on you know, the latest things that are happening and the latest opportunities. And so uh, we also know that following on the Don Tapscott Wikinomics book that we can't know everything, you know, that we, we can't hire all the smart people. And so by having a, a network where we have members that are from outside and, and including some folks on our advisory board who are doing good work in their own right, bringing together people to share case studies, sort of develop best practices together, and that this was a way for us to you know, make a contribution. And our first, you know, our first goal is we want to help our Mayo Clinic staff, our frontline staff, be able to be well-equipped to use these tools effectively. But then uh, while we're at it, Let's not do the reinvent the wheel. Let's be a catalyst if we can and help our, our colleagues at other institutions who want to do this. So we set up a conference that we think accessible to relatively less sophisticated folks, people who want to use this as an opportunity to just dive into the deep end and learn. That's part of why we developed an online prerequisite for our social media residents, the online social for healthcare certificate uh, with uh, that we developed with Hootsuite as a way for those who want to catch up quickly and then be able to converse about these various platforms and have an understanding of, of what's going on. But then at the same time, bringing in the, the members themselves, there there's a great, uh, a great, great breakout opportunities and chances to get uh, feedback and tips from some of our advisory board experts, as well as, as our staff, as well as in the keynoters and having some keynoters who come from different perspectives and can share some uh, particular expertise. And, you know, you mentioned Mari, you mentioned David Harlow on the legal side. Brett Burhoff is a really interesting guy. We just did a webinar with him. He's got bringing non-healthcare people as well as healthcare people to help us um, elevate what we're doing in healthcare, I think is, is an exciting opportunity. A quick comment. I remember once in our seminars, I was talking about a conference I'd been to, and one of the doctors that was there came up to me at the break and said, you know, when you first mentioned that you were going to these other conferences, I'm like, well, wait a minute, why Why would you, you're the speaker, be going to other conferences? And he goes, wait a minute, no, that's what the best people do, right? And yeah, the, exactly, yeah. <laughs> he said, you know, I said, yeah, would you trust a doctor that was thought he was too smart to ever go to any other uh, CME? So you want to learn from the best and you want to be the best. And so a lot of times when I accept a speaking engagement so I can go 
hear what the other people are saying because to me it's like obviously to think that I know a lot about this stuff, but you know I'm always looking for new insights, new twists, new things that I haven't seen before, and always I do. And not only that, when you go to a seminar or a conference like yours, even if you're a professional at this stuff, it's going to inspire new ideas just by hearing what other people say. So I can totally get that. When we started talking, you know, way back when you first started this, uh, I used to talk about the issues that are probably still pressing for a lot of people. So let's talk, I guess, first, because, uh, you know, there's still, and, and by the way, in hospitals in particular, there's always new people coming in that are completely cold from the outside. So some of the people you've been known for years live yep. this every day. There may be new leadership at a hospital, and they start raising the same issues we talked about years ago, like, well, what about HIPAA and privacy and, and reputation? Are, are you still hearing those kinds of concerns and questions? Yeah, we definitely do. And that, those are still viable questions that people are asking. I think it's getting a little less. You know, when we were starting this, it was before the era when there was a hashtag in every Super Bowl commercial. You know, but now as people are seeing that this is just a way that uh, uh, people are communicating, and the fact that we've had seven, eight, nine years of experience with this at Mayo Clinic and and some others too, that uh, it's becoming more accepted. I think the interesting element is, you know, Ferris Tamimi, who's our medical director, he's a cardiologist at Mayo Clinic, so he's our medical director for social media, is really our voice in the physician-to-physician conversations internally at Mayo Clinic in particular. And he talks about how his life has changed in terms where previously it was sort of campaigning to get people to consider this. Now he's got a lot more people coming to him and physicians talking about their personal online reputation management and just how can I build my practice. And so there's uh, there's definitely, there's maybe even a predisposition, maybe a faulty predisposition to think, hey, I need a Facebook page. And they come, they sort of come with their idea in hand of what they want to do. But it does at least open the door for us to be able to consult with them on, yeah, you probably need a Facebook strategy, but maybe not your own Facebook page. And we can figure out you know, what makes the most sense in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. In terms of Facebook specifically, when we work with our clients, Facebook is the clear leader typically for most of the social media stuff. It's the big dog. Everything else is everything else. And and so, as you know, the last couple of years, they've changed their algorithms so that a lot fewer posts are being seen organically. And so we've made a shift to paid to help supplement that to reach people that we wouldn't otherwise reach, right, that aren't fans. What have been the ramifications for, you know, for Mayo and for your students and people and colleagues? Are you finding that they also are finding the same kinds of shifts? And I'm assuming some institutions have a better, maybe actually I just jumped into the mechanics. Some people may not be aware of that. Uh, Maybe you can talk about the changes Facebook has made and what the implications are. I can't give you the precise figures from, say, five years ago, but maybe five years ago, if uh, we had 500,000 followers on our Mayo Clinic Facebook page, if we posted something, maybe 200 to 250,000 of them would see any post that we would, you know, post because there weren't as many pages out there. And there really wasn't this change in the algorithm, as you mentioned. As Facebook has grown and now has more than 2 billion monthly active users, there's a lot, awful lot of content that they could show to any given user at any time as they, as they log in. They say, so, you know, 15 other 2,000 pieces of content. So how are they going to prioritize that? Well, one way they do it is by saying, if I've got close family and friends who are posting new things, that's what I really want to see. And they're going to show that. They're going to show people more of that and less of the things that are coming from brands, from organizations, to the point where now it's in that 1% to 3% range. Right. I'm in the 1% to 3% range. And so because of that, 
you know, what, what that means is, you know, organizations that want to get their content in front of more people are needing to pay for it. On the other hand, there is still a huge premium on great content. We had our first face transplant at Mayo Clinic was within this last year, and we announced that in in February. You know, when we uh, had more reach on that with almost no paid promotion, reach of like 25 million and 10 million views of the video, but it was being shared a thousand times an hour, you know, at its peak. And so the goal is to get uh, and to think strategically with us, like, how can I get my followers who do see this to consider this worth sharing with their family and friends. So we sort of consider that the mother of all metrics now is shares because it's the one that it's goes, if somebody likes your content, great. If they comment on it, that's wonderful too. But when they share it, they're saying, I want my friends to see it. And mainly they're telling Facebook that their algorithm, that first of all, you know, if it, it becomes one of those personal things as opposed to a brand sharing. That was a 50% exposure rate down to one to 3% exposure rate is you know kind of being tackled to the knees in terms of response. But then again, it comes back to really good, it, it sounds like from your experience then, really good, outstanding content still can get shared organically. That's essentially what it, your takeaway there is. Yeah, it absolutely can. And, and the thing is, if you're not putting good content together that's interesting to your audience, you can put money behind it and it's still not going to get a lot of reach. Now you can you can pay for it, but you can pay to some extent. But Facebook's, you know, it isn't necessarily an evil conspiracy. It's just they want people to be active and staying engaged on Facebook. And if they show too much material that isn't really of interest to the to the users, even if it's paid for, that's not a good deal for them. Google is the same way on on the digital marketing that we do for our clients as well as for Facebook. You know, Google, uh, which is a little bit of a side, but they care a lot about the relevancy of content because if it becomes yep. if, if people start seeing lots of irrelevant content, eventually they start looking for better solutions that are more relevant, yep. and then the whole kingdom is at risk, right? right? It's it's very very important to them. It's also an interesting insight, you know, from our standpoint when we talk about this in, ch- in terms of the algorithm. We tease that it's kind of like okay, you've gotten addicted to this you know, free stuff, now you got to pay. But I can see as well, though, you, you are right. There's just so much more content. So there's a lot more to choose from. So from a lot of reasons why that organic reach has really dropped, except for uh, apparently the most fantastic articles. Another thing that seems to have changed from my experience, I remember when we first started talking, this whole social media thing, it was discussions back then at a lot of hospitals, should we even do it? Now, I would like to hear your comments because it feels to me like most hospitals have somebody in charge of social media. It may not be the top person in the company, but there's usually somebody in charge. They do nothing else. Now, bigger ones may have a whole team, but that's probably going to be uncommon. But what are you finding? Like, how do hospitals handle social media now? Do they have a committee? Do they have an individual? Do they have somebody who does it in their spare time? How does it work typically in the hospitals you talk to? Yeah, I think it varies a lot by the size of the organization. And if the you know the larger their communications and marketing teams, the more likely they are to have at least a dedicated person or maybe a you know two or three person team involved on it. Yeah, at Mayo Clinic we currently have a team of eight and we feel extraordinarily blessed, you know, to be at at that level. Part of the reason is because we have this commitment to outreach and to helping our colleagues elsewhere. So in a a way, we're sort of ad hoc members of other organizations, teams, because we're there to sort of help build the resources available to them through the network. It sort of depends on how they got into it. Those who got in earlier, I think, tend to be more uh, housed within communications because that's sort of the PR function and it's the earned media kind of free 
organic approach. And those have started uh, later, probably have tended more toward the considering another uh, digital advertising. And it's really both. What I like about how we've handled it, and I think when it's when it's best, is when you can have both interests represented. If it feels like it's only advertising, it's not going to have that. I mean, you're never going to get that sort of sharing stuff going on. But if you treat it more as a public information officer, but with some ad spend behind it, I think that uh, tends to get you the most impact. When people are coming to this conference this year, what do you think are likely top of mind or things that are challenges that people on the ground in social media are facing? What's topical? Or is it the same things it's always been? Or what, what do you expect? What, do you, what have you found? You mentioned that Facebook is sort of in a class by itself, and then there are all the others. And so I think there's a going to be a significant interest in how do we make the most out of Facebook? How do we really make it work for us as, a, as an organization? And so having Mari Smith, who I, I, don't, I think I've known her maybe a little bit longer than you, but as we go quite a ways back being Facebook friends, and she just sort of really stuck into it and went deep into, into Facebook. And so having her as really the a voice of authority and experience in using and actually very much keeping up to date on the latest things you need to know about how to be most effective with Facebook. I think that's going to be real important. But I just look at various kind of case studies, whether it's a suicide threat on your Facebook page or how do you handle, so we've got the folks who handled the Orlando Pulse shooting and the, the hospital that had to respond to that, you know, dealing with kind of crises. I think people are interested in the sort of things that they experience at one level or another, maybe in a different scale, but hearing from people who've been through the wars, so to speak, and, and have lessons to share. It always comes back to the, the horror story, the crisis. How do we, you know, what if, what if, and, you know, what if doesn't happen often, but it's a black swan, right? Eventually, sometimes it does. And how do you right. respond? How do you prepare? How do you get everybody ready to go? What about in and terms what did of we, the, what did we learn when it did happen? You know, what did we learn no, when that, it did happen? And by the way, it wasn't fatal. You know, I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> it may have, may have felt like a crisis at the time and, and definitely in, your, in dealing with life in healthcare, you're dealing with uh, really life and death situations, but most people aren't dying because of a social media issue. It's just right. maybe unpleasant, but there are lessons that we learn and that we share and, and then we're able to better respond next time. And that's the thing, again, where I, you know, I advocate uh, your conference for people that are in this professionally, because that way they can have meaningful conversations when these topics come up, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they, yeah. they're not just winging it. They have some experience to talk about and say with some credibility, well, there may not be a perfect answer to this, but here's what happened over here and what, here's what happened over here. So at least you have some context for what's going on. That's a hugely important thing because it's one thing, if you are a team of one or two in a social media team within an organization and people say, hey, you're faced with a situation, the fact that you're able to have connected with others who really have been through that before and, and you can say, well, this is what they did here. I surveyed my colleagues within the network and this is what they suggested or what their experience was. It just gives you a lot more confidence going into those C-suite sort of uh, conversations. Another question, we talked about the importance of good content. How much of the content to get good content, and it could also be even at a, you know, a practice, somebody, if you've got somebody at the practice level or at a hospital, there's a lot of small hospitals out there where you've got a one-man or one-woman band. To get good content, what are some of the secrets there? Because you know, obviously you have to have something to work with. So a big part of it is just thinking like a storyteller. You know, that um, stories have versus disjointed facts and figures, 
having you know being able to put the the voice of the the patient who has been through an experience um, and to be able to tell those stories in a, in a compelling way. Um, you know, things like uh, live video. Live video is, is, is an important and streaming video and that interaction that you can have like on Facebook Live, but to not, uh, not undersell the importance of um, just, it's weird to say old-fashioned YouTube, <laughs> but, right. you know, record, recorded videos that uh, allow people to get the kind of in-depth information that they're looking for about their health. You know, images are are crucial, you know, in being able to draw attention and ideally not uh, stock images that look like everybody else, but being able to, you know, get, get good photography, good images. Yeah, it really comes down to the quality of the story, the, the fact that we, I mean, we did have our face transplant story was told very well by, uh, you know, regional Emmy award winning uh, videographer that we had, and we've got a, a journalist uh, who used to be with WCCO Television, you know, who told the story. But it's the underlying thing is it's a face transplant. You know, it's a it was it was a great story, and being able you know finding that story and then being able to tell it well, and certainly not not everybody's going to have that kind of story, but but looking for the you know unusual and looking for the elements that make a story strong is is what makes the content uh, shareable because it makes people say, you got to see this. You know, in that case, clearly it's a unique story, which helps a lot. And that may not always be easy if you're in a rural hospital, right? You don't have too many face transplants. Mm -hmm. But the other part you did brought up was the storytelling. And there's still stories. Healthcare is full of stories. And people relate. And it's I know it's cliche. If, if you're a professional marketer, you've heard this before. But still, most people don't do it. And it's easy to get caught up in the assembly line. One challenge that I, I think people do is they get caught up in just they're putting out stuff. And so if it doesn't get any more about volume than quality, it's easy to get caught up in that and forget the basics. The basic is people like to relate to other people, and healthcare is completely about stories and about people, right? That's the whole point. What do you think the future is likely to be for social media and healthcare? Is it going to be more of the same, or where do you think the evolving is? Again, the technology keeps changing. And you've mentioned also, for example, Facebook, you have to really keep up. It's one of those things that, yeah, it's one thing to post, but if you want to be an expert, you have to really keep up. It keeps changing. It's a moving target. So what do you think are, are the, we're likely to see, you know, this year's conference and going forward? What kinds of trends, what, what do you expect to see as changes? Facebook's going to remain important uh, because it, it really has, you know, it has, it along with Google and, and Apple, you know, have really staked out you know, pretty dominant positions. But other elements, uh, the newer technologies that are interesting are things like Alexa, you know, the voice search kind of things and the AI and bot. We're not there yet, but we definitely see that that's the kind of thing that, that we need to be exploring. And that's where we're excited to be bringing together, you know, people who'll be able to talk about those kind of issues and that'll help inform the session for, for future conferences too. A couple more quick questions. Uh, reputation management, is that going to be part of your conference? And if so, what are some of the takeaways? That's some kind of an underlying um, theme uh, that we'll typically have. I mean, whether it's related to the, the crisis management or, you know, individual physician uh, recommendations, that's something we hear a lot. And part of the beauty, I think, of the conferences that we have what we call expert sessions, where we enable people to identify, you know, identify an area of expertise that they would like to share and then gather in small groups to really dig deep into those topics. And so the 
you know, while it's not, you know, reputation management isn't formally on the case studies agenda, that's something that always comes up. And physicians saying, when I Google myself, I see rate my doc, and I see health grades and all these other sites. And what do I do about that? How do I manage that online reputation? And so we do have some recommendations with that. First, claim and complete your profile on Doximity. Second, uh, get a Twitter account, get a LinkedIn account. Third is get a LinkedIn account that by sort of claiming your space there, by putting out content that's clearly linked to you, Google wants relevance. When they're ranking things that are going to be most relevant to people searching for your name, your Twitter account, your LinkedIn account, your profile in proximity, which also feeds the U.S. News Doctor Finder, a YouTube video that features you, are going to be the things that will tend to come up higher in search, and then it'll push the others further down the page. And When you look at the percentage of people who click spots one through five in Google search versus six through 10 and on to page two, it's five to one. (laughs) Claiming those top spots and, and taking steps to manage your own reputation in that way by proactively putting out content and creating places for people to connect with you is, we think, a lot stronger than trying to individually interact with various review sites. And then one final question before I ask you about your conference in terms of who should attend. Back in the early days, and it's still to this day, we get people saying, oh, yeah, I need a bunch of new patients. Therefore, I'm going to go open up a Facebook account. I don't know if you're still getting that kind of concern, but are you finding that still comes up? You know, you get a lot of uh, specialty groups within a large enterprise or individual doctors may say, yeah, I need a Facebook page. And that's sort of their, when they used to say, I need a brochure, I need a billboard, or, you know, it's sort of their default thing now. Part of what we share through the network is the consultation process that we that we go through when we're talking with our staff and, and managing those expectations. And, and a big part of it is climbing organic reach. You know, if, if you're only going to have 300 followers on your page and one to 3% are going to see it, you you know, that's three to <laughs> exactly. nine people are, are seeing a post. So <laughs> yep. uh, unless you have some money to put behind it, it's going to be hard to, to ramp that up. And so that's why I say a Facebook strategy, you know, maybe, you know, posting and providing some content that we can put on our Mayo Clinic page. If you're a Mayo Clinic doctor, makes a lot more sense or trying to tell a story there where we're going to have a bigger footprint, you know, for starters. I don't want to say constant battle because we're not battling. We're just talking, you know, we're conversing, but we're, there's a definite predisposition that people have. And, but they're really, I mean, one thing I really appreciate at Mayo Clinic is that our, our physicians respect um, the work that we do and they respect that we're, we have some expertise to share with them and that, and they want to be successful. And that's part of what we're here to do is to help position them so that they can be as, as successful as possible while not detracting from the work they need. I mean, they're busy people too. And so if we can help facilitate that, uh, they appreciate it. Your uh, analogy there, your example, was exactly what we tell our clients too about, you know, you've got 300 followers, you worked forever to get them. Now you've got mm-hmm. a 1% to 3% chance of seeing them. This is not where you need to focus your energy. If you want to get patients, there's something different, but that's not going right. to be typically your best exactly. place to go. And that's, yeah. you know, we tell that to people, you know, in our seminars. And I think, you know, there's this, I don't know what percentage, 10 or 15, 20% of people are all disappointed. That's what they thought this was about is, you know, doing some Facebook fans and getting bunches of new patients. And that's not, it's still worth doing, still lots of amazing opportunities, but that's not the primary driver. 
The other sort of editorial comment, then I'm going to ask you to talk about your um, conference and residency. The one thing I love about the work you've done, Lee, and, and your organization behind you is very forward thinking, which it's Mayo, right? A lot of hospitals, and it's certainly understandable, are very inward looking, right? We have our own problems. We need to fix our own things. But Mayo, I think it's part of your culture to be outward thinking. So it's not just about your patients, but what can we share for others? And I think that's terrific. And it's clearly a cultural thing because, you know, very few hospitals would give a second thought <laughs> to doing this stuff, sure. right? And you guys have a whole department. So that's exciting. So um, it's great that you guys do this good work. Give our readers who should go to which section and when is it and where is it and just so they can make a sure. uh, quick determination if they want to uh, check it out. Well, sure. I invite people to go to socialmedia.mayoclinic.org, and I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes, but we've got two events. The first is our annual conference, which is December 11th and 12th. It's on our Mayo Clinic campus in Scottsdale, Arizona. That's the two-day conference where we'll have six case studies, various topics that you'll see, as well as four keynoters. The one I hadn't mentioned yet, in addition to the other three, is Amy O'Connor, who's from Eli Lilly. And so the whole idea of doing super regulated environment, even beyond just healthcare, but pharma, having her perspectives, I think will be, be really great. Um, mentioning those expert consultations. So it's it's really for people who are, are leading social media in their organization, a chance to brush up on and, and to sharpen the saw, so to speak, in the Stephen Covey analogy. But also we do have some of our physicians there, some of our healthcare professionals, and there will be others you know, from other organizations. We've got people coming from as far as New Zealand. The third day, uh, December 13th, is our social media residence. And the whole idea behind that is it's a chance for people who are developing strategic plans for whether it's a, a particular function or a particular service line in an organization or for an organization as a whole to develop that strategic plan and to think about it from a, a framework that we use that we uh, recommend for others. It's built upon the foundation of our online training, which is included in the registration for either residency or for the conference. So we've got this four and three and a half hour set of online modules that people can take advantage of. And, and again, those are included in the registration. And it's especially timely, I think, as people are going to be doing their 2018 planning to be able to develop that strategic plan and try to tie it all together. How does uh, social integrate with other means of communication and, and networking? That's the deal. And there's a bit, little bit better deal if you come for all three days, you get a discount on the residencies. We'd encourage uh, folks, whether they are thinking about uh, ramping up what they're doing in social and wanting to help make that case, or whether they're just uh, looking to stay up to date and polish their skills, uh, we think either or both events could be really helpful for them. Lee, it's been fun catching up. 